0: Good morning. Today's Bible reading comes from the Old Testament, the book of Amos, chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. This is what the Lord God showed me, a basket of summer fruit. He said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people, Israel. I will never again pass them by. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that that day, says the Lord God. The dead body shall be many, cast out in every place. Be silent, hear this, you that trample on the needy and bring to ruin the poor of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over, so that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath, so we may offer wheat for sale? We will make the ephah small and the shekel great. And practice deceit with false balances, buying the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, and selling the sweepings of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, Surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble in this account, and every one mourn who lives in it, and all of it rise like the Nile, and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt? On the on that day, says the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on all loins and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only sun and the end of it like a bitter day. The time is surely coming, says the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water. BUT OF HEARING THE WORDS OF THE LORD. THEY SHALL WANDER FROM SEA TO SEA, AND FROM NORTH TO EAST. THEY SHALL RUN TO AND FRO, SEEKING THE WORD OF THE LORD. BUT THEY SHALL NOT FIND IT.
1: Well, it's been a tough week uh, here in worldly affairs. A lot of bad stuff going on out there, so I was really, really happy to see on my website this morning that uh, today is National Ice Cream Day. I thought they should have a better title for it. They should call it National Ice Cream Sunday. That would work for me. That would work. (laughs) They're a tough crowd, Larry. Um, I'm wondering if you actually heard those words that Randy uh, read this morning from the book of Amos. Um, That text is found on um, page number 901 in your Bibles. Um, If you didn't hear it, um, you might want to open your Bibles and read that. Um, And you might notice too that we are almost to the end of the Old Testament. Um, for some reason, the people who put together the Old Testament kind of wanted to put these cranky old men at the back. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you read the whole, uh, uh, got, uh, the whole piece of Amos, uh, he's a bad news bear uh, kind of a guy. So um, it's no wonder that uh, they bring him out only occasionally. Uh, because uh, he, his news is not good news, it's not the gospel. And uh, so uh, there we are. It has to do with justice, of course, uh, and most of the Bible is uh, concerned with justice. Um, just to give you a little bit of context, you know, of course, the fi- first five books of the Bible are called the Pentateuch, and uh, they were uh, Israel's basic Bible, you might say. They're foundational uh, literature. And if you read those uh, five books, the Pentateuch, they're, they're written in such a way that they, they are presented as Moses' uh, last will and testament. Uh, and the assumption is that Moses wrote the Pentateuch. He didn't, but they were put together in his name. And, uh, and of course, in that we have all the foundational stories Uh, how the people of uh, Israel came about uh, and how they were uh, called the chosen people of God. And uh, then there's a section after the Pentateuch where uh, there is a phase where they deal with kings and kingdoms and of course that comes to 1st and 2nd Samuel with that great story of David, King David, he was probably the most important uh, favorite king of all. And then there's other material in that section uh, that has to do with all of the kings. Uh, there's 1 Kings and Second Kings. And then there's Chronicles, which does about the same thing. It summarizes all the kings. And if you read those sections, uh, one of the things that you might realize is that it is almost like a funeral dirge. First um, and 2 Samuel are about the rise of David, King David. And it's a wonderful story and he looks like the hero, uh, but David uh, as a king fails in a very, very important way. Um, And therefore the whole uh, arrangement uh, failed in a very important way. Um, Because at that moment, uh, Israel thought that they were the Empire. They thought they were in control uh, of their destiny. Uh, they were wealthy. Uh, David uh, was a commanding officer in one of the largest uh, armies in the in the Middle East at that time. And then, and then he did something really bad. He he. he there's that thing with Bathsheba. And uh, if you ever read that story, you, you might notice that it is a sordid story. I mean, it would it would end up on the front page of the of the Esquire or whatever magazine, Inquire, yeah. And, um, and it's a sad tale. I know a lot of uh, Christians hold up King David as the best. And he was. But he was the best who failed. So it was the whole political arrangement that failed. Uh, they tried to be uh, like all the other nations. Uh, but King David succumbed uh, just to the allure of power. Um, and he thought he could get away with it. Um, and he actually sent... Uh, Bathsheba's husband, who was an extremely loyal soldier. Once David found out that Bathsheba was pregnant with his child, uh, he asked his captains to send, send word uh, uh, to the husband, and of course one thing leads to another, and, and David arranges to have Bathsheba's husband put at the most dangerous part of the Bible so that he would be surely killed, and he was, and uh, the baby came. And then if you read the rest of 2 Samuel, it's almost like a liturgical recitation of the kings. Then King so-and-so rose, who ruled for so long, and he died. Then King so-and-so arose, he ruled for a certain length of time, and then he died. And that goes on for chapter after chapter after chapter. And I think that kind of repetition kind of brings it home Uh that, that that arrangement of power really doesn't work for us. And so uh, then we get to the Psalms, uh, which is kind of like the hymn book of, uh, of the Jewish people. And there's some w- wisdom literature in there as well. And there, there's the prophets. And we have the, probably the most famous prophet, Isaiah, and there are other prophets like um, Ezekiel and Jeremiah. And then we have what we call, those are the major prophets, then we have what we call the minor prophets. Uh, Amos is one of the minor prophets. Uh, But but minor doesn't mean not not powerful. I mean, if you read uh, this book of Amos, uh, you would be shaken to your core. um, Because uh, what Amos is doing is just simply bringing the word of God to the people thinking that they're in charge of their lives and they are doing well uh, that they are ignoring justice and that is going to cause your downfall. And it's as simple as that really. Um, And so you know justice is often uh, noted as probably one of the main points in the whole Bible. Uh, They were a people of justice. And so I I was uh, thinking about this the past few days i um, just wondering what the difference is between uh, fairness and justice. We have uh, three grandkids uh, in the area down here, and we're going to go up and uh, visit three of our grandkids up in Oregon too, but the three we have here are, are all three girls, and um, they are very, very, very aware of something that's not fair. And they will cry and they will come to you and you know, accuse and tattle and the whole thing. You know, they get all whipped up, all three of them when they're playing. And three's a bad number for, for children to play, especially girls. Two works, three does not work. So and it's usually the smallest one that realizes that, you know, life is not fair. And of course, when you tell the kid that, what is that to them? <laughs> Say life is not fair. But but I, I want to ice cream. <laughs> so, oh, and, and when my daughters were, uh, oh, maybe late 10, you know, 10, 12 years old, somewhere in there, um, they started uh, on Christmas morning, they would be aware of what the other sister got. And so, you know, I saw that as a potential conflict on a Christmas morning. So uh, this is a true story. I wrote down what I bought them, and I put the price next to it, and I added it all up so that they would both have the equal amount, and they were okay with that. I could give them almost nothing, or I could give them a lot, but as long as it's fair, it's good. It's okay. Uh, one of the more, more uh, painful experiences I had uh, that, that is the distinction between fairness and justice is uh, when I was first divorced uh, many, many years ago uh, coming to this church, and um, I was exposed to the justice system, and uh, we had to go to family court and all of that kind of stuff, and we had to work it all out. You know how difficult that is, Russ? Family law? Wow. And uh, and, I, and when it was finally settled and we had the court paper signed, sealed, I realized that this is not a fair arrangement. Neither one of us were happy. And we tried to tell ourselves that this is just, but it's not fair. And so I became aware of the fact that we have a legal justice system, and I think it's not called the legal fairness system for a reason. Because what is fairness, uh, Russ? I mean, what, how would you describe fairness? Yeah, process. That's a good way to. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Because life is not fair. You probably have to tell a lot of your clients that life is not fair, uh, but. We have something called a legal justice system. Of course, that's something that's come under a lot of uh, stress uh, lately uh, with all the race issues and uh, politics and all of that. So when we come to um, um, a book like Amos and this text, um, uh, that he's speaking uh, in the name of God, he did not mince words. He, he did not need to be liked. He did not want to persuade anyone. Uh, he was simply announcing uh, what Yahweh wanted him to announce. And the announcement is that if you participate in injustice at this level, it's only going to lead to your destruction. Basic point. That summarizes the whole Old Testament, I think, is this whole justice system. It's tough. It's tough and people get hurt and they sue one another or they're brought up on um, criminal um, criminal charges and the whole justice system is this creaky old corrupted system that just kind of creaks along and we're not really sure if there is any justice at the end of the day. And it's, Amos is talking to the leaders, actually. So if he was around here today, he would be talking about those who are in charge of uh, Oh, the government, uh, people on Wall Street, uh, people who are in uh, power positions. Of course, it was nothing like that level back then as it is now. Uh, But he begins there in uh, verse Um, 4. Amos says, Hear this, you that trample on the needy and bring to ruin the poor of the land, saying... When will the new moon be over, so that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath, so that we might offer wheat for sale. We, we will make the ephah small. It's like a little basket that you put food into. We'll make it small, and the shekel great, and pra- practice deceit with false balances, buying the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and selling the sweepings of the wheat. That's pretty straightforward, there, isn't it? Corruptness um, magnified uh, by greed and money, and um, it, this is just as relevant uh, back then as it is today. Uh, that we read our newspapers and watch the news, and and you know. <laughs> I think we have to be an alternative voice uh, to what goes on in our economy and in our politics. And um, some time ago, um, I also preached another sermon on a prophet, another prophet. And I made the point that Martin Luther King Jr. made. And he was firm in the conviction that America could solve poverty by tomorrow if they had the legal will, they've certainly got the wealth, but they could, they could solve poverty by tomorrow. So I've been thinking about that, you know, how much would that cost? Um, I've been paying attention to one of the military programs called, a jet fighter called the A-38, if have you've have you been reading about that, first, you know, past few years. It's a new jet fighter, <clears throat> you know, like so many other things. Uh, um, there are uh, uh, airplane companies that make these jet, jet fighters, and they design them, and it takes them a long time. And so a lot of money went into developing and building uh, the first A35. Um, and uh, so they were going to just start cranking these out, but they ran into a lot of problems with it. And so it cost more money and more money. And then after a while, the military says, we don't want that airplane. The Pentagon says, we don't want that airplane. They told Congress, we don't want that airplane. But the Congress kept funding it over and over and over again. And so I'm sure it was in some senator's uh, state where they they built these planes. And I read just uh, yesterday that the total cost for that PROGRAM FOR THAT AIRPLANE THAT NOBODY WANTS IS A TRILLION DOLLARS. I DON'T NEED TO SAY ANY MORE ABOUT THAT. IT SPEAKS FOR ITSELF. WHAT WOULD A TRILLION DOLLARS DO IN THIS COUNTRY IN helping, HELPING THE POOR? THERE IS A ROUGH RULE um, in, IN OUR HOUSE TOO WITH OUR GRANDKIDS they argue fairness, but they also say this doll, or whatever it is, is mine, and I don't have to share it. This is mine, and I don't have to share it. That makes sense. Even to a billionaire. It makes sense. And it's possible for the top 1% of our economy to own 90% of the wealth because it's theirs and they don't want to share it. Is that fair? No. Is it just? Well, they got the lawyers on their side, so they make the laws. And of course, in a quinky-dink way, It's by the law, so therefore it's just, so uh, the justice system does not meet out not only fairness but justice, it's a total corruption of justice. So we've heard this statement so many times before. I'm a self-made man. He says uh, I, I have earned my money, and I don't need anybody else's money And I'm, I'm do this on my money, and what I have is mine because I've earned it, and I don't need to share it with anyone Now who am I talking to about? Well, a number of people It's not only the person you think you're thinking of but it is that upper 0.1% of the population that has the law on their side so that they can keep billions, if not trillions of dollars in bank accounts offshore. Is that fair? But then we have to realize that war is not about the imposition of justice or the rule of law. War is a business. And there are a number of people and companies who make a lot of money when there's war. And so, you know, there might be these high ideals that we say, why we're going to war for this or that, and we trot them out there, and they don't, they, they don't even need to be shaky, but they just blatantly lie to us. Get us into a situation where the taxpayers have to pump up all this money into the war machine. They call it the war machine. And I think as Christians we need to be against that. War as business. War as profit. War is about the bottom line of these companies who are doing, doing the war. So what would Amos say? I have a feeling he would go to Wall Street. I have a feeling he'd go to Wall Street. And what would he say? This is what, the, what Yahweh God showed me. It begins in verse 1 of chapter 8. A basket of summer fruit? He said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. As if that's some kind of argument. I don't know what it is. But it is a symbol of well-being. It's a symbol of the good life. A basket of summer fruit. And Yahweh shows it to Amos. And then Yahweh says, The end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The songs of the temple shall become wailing in the night, says Yahweh God. The dead bodies shall be many, cast out in every place. Be silent. Hear this. You that trample on the needy and bring to ruin the poor of the land, saying, we will do all of these things. We're going to cheat. We're going to make the basket smaller. We're going to put our finger on the balance. And then in verse 7, it says, Yahweh has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account and everyone mourn who lives in it? And all of it rise like the Nile and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt. And then the, the wording gets horrific. In verse 9, on that day, says Yahweh God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentations. I will bring sackcloth. I could read the whole thing, but you get it. Get it. It speaks for itself. Amos speaks for itself. Amos and his evaluation of the country that they had speaks for itself. You continue with this corrupt, monetary system and there will be dire consequences it's as simple as that we've talked about it before we've talked about a whole different dynamic a a trickle up theory of economics not a trickle down you make the top .1% rich they keep it the theory was that they would spend it and it would trickle down what Yahweh wants is and this is the test if the lowest, the most vulnerable people in your society are well cared for, then all of society is healthy. I've been down the 57 a few times, 57 freeway, and the tents are appearing uh, right next to the freeway there, under the bridges, and there are more and more every time I walk down there, and, and that, my friends, is a curse on our society. It's a curse and there will be an accountability, I think. I don't want it. I want us all to do well, but there will be a way uh, that, (laughs) we've talked about unintended consequences before. There will be unintended consequences. And in all of this, we need to speak with a clear voice. We do. We're not against anybody. We're not against making money. What we are against is a system where the needy and the most vulnerable in life are not taken care of. The richest country the world has ever seen, and there are 20 million people in poverty. Millions of kids wake up every morning not, not able to eat because they don't have the money. That's a shame, that's a shame. What would justice look like in our society? That's what we need to be thinking about. Because tomorrow, those people could be out of their tents. Tomorrow, all all the homeless in L.A. County would not be there. If there was justice in the land, everybody would have health care. I could go on. I could go on and on. Let us speak with a clear voice that God wants justice. That's what we hold out as our primary value. That's what we work toward. And that's what we commit our lives to is justice. Let us bow in a word of prayer. Loving God, we gather here on this Sunday morning as we do so many other Sunday mornings. We come here after having seen all of the things that have gone on in the world, all the sadness and the heaviness. It seems so chaotic. Where, where, where will our voice be heard? Where will the voice of justice be heard? Our prayers go out in so many different directions. I go out to the people who are harmed and killed by violence. Not just the violence that we see on TV, but every day. The crazy injustice that we have in this country and in the Western world is just that it's crazy, and we see it. So we come here again this morning, loving God. We pray to you that you would hear our voice. We want to speak clearly about justice and fairness. We are your people here in the Brea Congregational Church. We are your people. This is our message, a message of life, of well-being. We want every person to have a basket of summer fruit. This morning we pray for people individually. We pray for others who we know in our hearts uh, that we don't express with our lips, people, family, friends who need our prayers. Help us to support those who, who need us, who need our prayers. Be with us as we work together following Jesus. That's why we're called Christians. We follow Christ. And we pray that same prayer that Jesus taught his own disciples how to pray. Our Father,